first, we look at the past. New Orleans is a roller coaster of destruction and rebirth. Fire, famine, disease, war. It always came down to two people. The Divine Perry. I feel like I have to be perfect. Like I have to do everything right. I go the other way. I run away from everything. I've had a lot of things taken from me. And everything I have, I've had to steal. There's something about fear that pushes me. That was my whole life. Whenever anything goes wrong, I hightail it out of town. I think we need to talk. When we touch, shake those boots. Assess our limits. It's the same as it was for all the others. One will live, and one will die. The universe keeps pushing us together. The universe keeps pulling us apart. Welcome to the Carefree Black Nerd Podcast, a conversation about representation in comics and related media. I'm your host, Rain Coleman, and this issue covers Tyrone. <laughs> um, okay, so for those of you who don't know, uh, Tyrone is Cloak from Cloak and Dagger, and I decided to cover him specifically this episode because... Marvel's Cloak and Dagger will be premiering on June 7th of this year, so that's pretty soon. Now, the quick synopsis of the show itself is uh, Marvel's Cloak and Dagger, or simply Cloak and Dagger, is an upcoming American cable television series created for Freeform by Joe Pekoski. Okay, we'll go with that. Based on the Marvel Comics characters of the same name. Now, this show is set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the MCU, so it shares the continuity with all the films and other television series in the franchise. Now, that being said, I would imagine it is covering, or excuse me, shares continuity with all of the MCU movies, everything leading up to Infinity War. What I'm confused about is the TV series, because if I am not mistaken... And if I am wrong, please um, let me know <laughs> by using the hashtag CBNPod and tweeting me and let me know. Nah, you wrong, motherfucker. So um, I, I hesitate to say the TV series because I believe like Netflix is its own kind of separate entity of the MCU because they don't directly... <sighs> See, now, I don't know. Maybe that's wrong because I know Captain America was mentioned in Jessica Jones Season 2 like by name. And whereas all the seasons before for the other shows, they weren't addressed directly. So it's it's confusing. I'm just going to say for the purpose of this and going forward until one of you guys corrects me or I'll find out on my own that Cloak and Dagger exists in this same space. Um, Cloak and Dagger also share continuity with Runaways. Runaways, which is Marvel's Hulu uh, series. But you know that's another story for another day. Now, the series is produced by ABC Signature Studios and Marvel Television with uh, Pokalski, Pokala, Pokalski, Pokalski, <laughs> serving as the showrunner. 
Now, the series stars Olivia Holt and Aubrey Joseph. They play Tandy Bowen, who is Dagger, and Tyrone Johnson, who is Cloak. Now, these two teenagers acquire superpowers and form a romantic relationship. Blah, blah, blah. Um, a television series starring Cloak and Dagger entered development for ABC Family in July of 2011. Like, wow, <laughs> that was some time ago. Now, in April 2016, Cloak and Dagger received a series order from Freeform, which is, if you don't know about Freeform, it um, it's pretty much ABC Family kind of rebranded as a more hip, family-friendly, but like, I would imagine tweens and teens focused um, uh, channel, network, and whatnot. So, and, and I've seen a few shows on Freeform, and it's, you know, they got like The Secret Life of the American Teenager and like Nine Lives of Chloe King, shout out to River Dames, and uh, just, it's it's a family-friendly network, essentially. Now, excuse me, um, in August, Pukowski, I need to know how to say this, man. <laughs> <laughs> he had joined the series as the showrunner and executive producer. Um, Holt and Joseph were cast in January of 2017, so just last year. And Andrea Roth, Gloria Rubin, Miles Musenden, Carl Lucenstead, Emma Lahanan, Jamie Zivillos, and J.D. Evermore also starring in the series. Filming for the series takes place in New Orleans, which is... Okay, okay. Now, I'm excited about that. I'm not very familiar with Cloak and Dagger lore. Um, I'm aware of who they are. I don't know where I first met them. I do know that I've they've kind of been in my consciousness for a while. They have a very kind of simple, but I don't want to say iconic, a simple but recognizable look. Like, if you don't know who Cloak and Dagger are, once you see one image of them, no matter what iteration you see them in, you'll be able to easily identify who they are. Now, what I'm trying to do with this particular issue is focus more on Cloak, focus more on Tyrone, because Dagger, if you don't know, Cloak is a black boy slash black man, depending on how they're written, and Dagger is a white girl slash white woman, depending on how they're written. And nothing against her, I would just like to focus more on Cloak, but even in doing so, they are essentially tied to one another and I have feelings about that as well but we'll get into those so this is a Tyrone <laughs> Johnson cloak issue but Dagger will be along for the ride now that being said I want to go before we even get into like the history and everything I want to get into kind of the one of the mild controversies around these characters now with Marvel, Fox, and everyone else, and Sony would not having these different properties from Marvel being spread out. We know that with the MCU, they only had, they being Marvel, Marvel Studios, only had access to a certain amount of characters. And when I say certain amount, pretty much anybody who wasn't mutant, um, except for Spider-Man, of course, who existed with Sony. Marvel, or Fox Marvel, or however that is, Fox Universe, had all of the mutants. Cloak and Dagger are characters that are, they're kind of like Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are both mutants and Avengers, which is why they were able to exist in the Fox universe as well as the Marvel Comics universe. Uh, that being said, because they were classified as such, though the Scarlet Witch didn't appear in any of the Fox films, Quicksilver did, and he was like a fan favorite, you know, blah, blah, whatever. 
Um, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch appeared both in the Avengers MCU universe, and Quicksilver was quickly X'd out, and, you know, Elizabeth Olsen rose to the ranks of the Scarlet Witch. I say all this to say, Zane's characters seem to um, switch between being classified as mutants and not classified as mutants. So, I'm going to go over kind of some of the, the few points on the list in which they were and were not considered mutants. Now, Cloak and Dagger Volume 3 stated for them to be mutants and was uh, full titled The Mutant Misadventures of Cloak and Dagger. Now, Civil War Battle Damage Report stated that the drug giving them powers in fact triggered latent mutant powers, but they were a science and magic-based mutate, not a mutant. Uh, when Norman Osborn came to recruit them for his X-Men, they stated they weren't mutants, to what Osborn replied, they might as well be. Um, Dagger herself was confirmed by Dr. Nemesis as not being a mutant, with no X-Gene and no readings on Cerebro. Uh, but in, for those of you who don't know, Cerebro is the kind of, I don't know, <laughs> psychic helmet that Professor X and subsequently other telepaths where in order to connect to the I'll just say like genetic plane of existence where they can search the globe for people who are mutants or have latent mutant abilities and it's seen very iconically in uh, tons of X-Men books and all of the X-Men movies so it's uh, Cerebro just google Cerebro you'll, you'll know who she is now um now again he said she had no X-Gene no readings on Cerebro but also no altered DNA helix or hereditary markers, her powers being solely based on the drug she and Cloak had been injected with. Um, Dagger also mentioned that there was uh, other, more extensive tests that could be done on their bone marrow to indicate if they possessed the X gene, which was, a suggestion, which was suggested by Beast. But Nemesis insisted in the fact that she was not a mutant no matter what. Um, it was also stated by Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, that it was now confirmed that both of them weren't not mutants, but altered humans. Lord, but in Cloak and Dagger were stated to be mutants in Marvel Fact Files number 19. So all that being said, I bring all that up to because, again, before this merge thing happened or is currently happening with Marvel Studios and Fox Studios, Marvel did not have access to mutants. For because Cloak and Dagger have been in development for so long, I would imagine, and it would only make sense that they are not classified as mutants in their show. Because if you listen back to all of the dates, 2017, the characters being picked, 2011, when the show was actually um, first like thought of or whatnot, that's back in the time when there were no deals between Fox and Marvel. So, of course, they were going to possibly be classified as non-mutants, as experimented upon. Um, also, if you look at the Runaway series, it's much of the same. Uh, I forget Baby Girl's name, the like the Hispanic girl, the youngest of the Runaways. I think she is in the comics an actual classified mutant. But in the series, and forgive me, I cannot recall. I think they may have said mutant once or mutated. All that's being said, these two characters popping up prior to any Fox Marvel deal would of course have me thinking that they are not going to be classified as mutants in this series, which is a little unfortunate because if we're going to get our hands on the actual mutants of Marvel later on down the line, it would be nice to include them as well because they had a hand in such stories as House of M, which was just, 
uh, one of my favorite stories. But I digress. We're going to go and get into Tyrone's story now after that full fucking whatever. <laughs> so uh, Tyrone Johnson is uh, part of the Marvel Universe. He has no aliases other than Cloak. Um, his identity is secret. He is a U.S. citizen who was born in South Boston, Massachusetts. Now, he first appeared in Spectacular Spider-Man number 64. That was back in 1982. So he's about mm, pushing 40 now in um, in real life history. You know, publication history. He's, I'm sure... I don't know, 30-something, as is everyone in the Marvel Universe. Now, his occupation is a vigilante, and his known relatives are the Johnsons. His parents, Otis uh, Johnson, uh, is his brother. Anna Johnson is his twin sister. He, um, well, that's another thing, because I'm, I'm looking over some of the stuff, some of the research I found, and that was it. Now, when I'm looking over some of the other kind of places in which I got his, history and information about Tyrone... It's noted that he had two sisters and one brother, so four kids altogether, whereas in some spaces it was just the two. And I'll explain why I think that is, and it is this, that one was his twin sister, Anna, who will, we may get to her, but pretty much they were uh, presumed separated at birth, and Tyrone didn't recognize her as adults, but she recognized him and knew that was her twin brother, blah, blah, blah. Then he had an, uh, another unnamed sister who died from a drug overdose, after she was introduced to drugs by their brother Otis. So I've said before on this show how frustrating it is when you have characters, especially women, and especially black women and women of color, who are introduced solely for the purpose of being fridged, being shock value, or just being this unnamed character. I believe the same was done with Ashley Barton, Spider-Girl's mother. Ashley Barton is the biracial child of Hawkeye, and an unnamed brown woman in um, Old Man and Logan, Old Man Hawkeye, like the future uh, timeline. I can't remember the distinction, forgive me, but I do go on Carefree Black Nerd feed and search Spider Girl Ashley Barton. Um, that being said, it, it, it's frustrating. But uh, we get another issue of Carefree Black Nerd in which these brown kids <laughs> suffer this trauma at the hands of one another. It, this is a product of 1980s, whatever. So I'm going to try to not bring my feelings into it and just report on it as it is, um, as I found it. Now, Tyrone Johnson, uh, in his early life, he was raised in a poor South Boston neighborhood. Now, Tyrone was a good student, despite his, <laughs> despite his chronic stutter. This is something interesting. Now, I'm sure there are others out there, but I am not fully aware of them. Uh, superheroes or supervillains with speech impediments. You have um, people who are differently able, like Misty Knight has the, uh, she's an amputee. Uh, Professor X is um, in a wheelchair. He has, um, yeah, he's in a wheelchair. And you have different conditions that mimic real life situations, but I cannot recall having a character with a stutter. Um, I think that is a very interesting idea um, or an interesting uh, thing to play with. In this case, it isn't as interesting because it's kind of, well, you'll see. It just like, it, it doesn't, his stutter does not, is not affected by his power. 
and I'm thinking in my head someone like Banshee or Siren who their power originates from their vocal cords, from their voice. What would it be like for a character like that to have a stutter? Like you have this sonic scream, you can propel yourself in the air, fly because of this power. If you have a stutter, what does that look like? So I'd be interested to kind of dive into that. So uh, Marvel Comics, please call me, uh, Copyright Carefree Black Nerd. I would love to write that story in which uh, Sean Cassidy and his daughter, Teresa Cassidy, uh, yeah, end up with a stutter or something. <laughs> so I'm um, getting back to Tyrone. Now, Tyrone had a friend named Billy. Uh, and I, through the things that I found on Tyrone, I, I don't know if Billy was black or white. And race plays a very interesting and important role in Cloak and Dagger's history. Again, Cloak, Tyrone being black, and Dagger, uh, Tandy being white. Now, with this stutter, uh, he struggled to master with the support of his best friend, Billy. Now, when Tyrone was 17, he and Billy witnessed a robbery of a local store and the fatal shooting of the clerk. So, they saw a guy murdered, like at 17, still children. Uh, despite what the media says, he's still a child. He's not a grown man. Uh, the thieves fled and Billy ran as well. He feared that he and Tyrone might be wrongfully suspected of the crime. Now that line within the research that I found makes me think that Billy is black. Now initially I thought he was white because of the name, but then I'm thinking if things two are having these um, issues with the law, like this running with the law, it could very well... I don't know. If you know the race of Billy, listeners, please tweet me, carefreeblurred with the hashtag CBNPod, and let me know if I discover it throughout the course of this or whatnot. I'll make sure to put an image of him on all my social medias. But that being said, it's like, look at this character who was developed back in 1982. Look at the shit that they're dealing with. It's like, oh, to be black in America. Jesus. Okay, so... Billy ran, of course, he feared that they might be wrongfully suspected of the crime. Now, when a policeman ordered Billy to stop, Tyrone tried to let him know Billy was innocent, but his stuttering made it impossible for him to speak clearly. Now, listen to this. Tyrone tried to let the officer know that Billy was innocent, but his stuttering made it impossible for him to speak clearly, and the officer shot Billy dead. Does that not sound like every news story that we've had about uh, some unarmed black kid being shot dead? Like, it's, uh, and it's just life imitating art, art imitating life or whatever. But, oh God, and it just, and, and this takes me back to so many different cases that have gone on within the last few years. I remember the one in particular about the guy who I think worked at a, not mental hospital, but a like rehabilitation clinic and one of his patients and forgive me if I'm remembering incorrectly, I think he may have been autistic or something. And the guy who worked, the older gentleman, older black man who worked at the facility, literally was on his belly on the ground with his hands and arms spread out so that these fucking cops could see that he was not a threat. Um, it's it's just so many different instances where now you, this this kid has a stutter, a child with a stutter, even if you didn't think even if you was not aware that Tyrone had a stutter, he's still a child with a gun pointed at him. Who wouldn't be nervous? Like, oh God, the, to be privileged in America and not have to deal with, but I digress. So um, Billy uh, was shot dead in front of Tyrone and Tyrone ran away to New York. 
which I don't understand that either. I'm sure there's something that I'm missing, and I'll have to maybe try to get my hands on some of these earlier issues of Cloak and Dagger, because I'm not getting the connection between your friend being shot dead. Of course, that's traumatic. But then you moving, like running away to New York. I mean, he's 17, good student, chronic stutter, uh, maybe not as social as he would have been without it. But then I'm not seeing, I don't know, this is, this is odd to me, um, especially when you have a family unit. Like, it, I don't know. But, again, he is poor, so there's that. Now, um, we're going to introduce Tandy Bowen, who is a uh, dagger. Now, arriving at Manhattan's Port Authority bus terminal, a penniless, no-money-having-ass Tyrone, traumatic incident behind him or part of him now at this point on, he considered robbing Tandy Bowen. She is a rich girl who had also run away from home. Yet, when someone else robbed her first, Tyrone impulsively tackled the thief and returned Tandy's purse. He should have kept the purse that kept going. <laughs> now, the two teens became fast friends. When the naive Tandy accepted an offer of shelter from some strange men. What the fuck? Even in the A. I don't. Okay. I'm. All right. I'm going to leave that there. So she accepted. Um some shit from some strange men Tyrone who was tired and traumatized and poor and I'm sure hungry and a fucking child he went along with her uh, to protect her which is like what are you doing like she, don't don't give me this uh, white woman in need of protection routine like yeah y'all keep but okay whatever so uh, <laughs> Tyrone went along to protect her however the two teens were soon forcibly delivered to criminal chemists Dr. Simon Marshall. <laughs> now, criminal, <laughs> criminal, 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 I can, not words, I can speak. Criminal chemist Dr. Simon Marshall was developing a new synthetic drug to replace heroin for the Magia. Magia? Magia. I'm not going to go over all of these side characters who are affiliated with um, Cloak and Cloak and Dagger because whatever. We'll. Some of them aren't people of color, and some are, and whatever else. So all you need to know is Magia, M-A-G-G-I-A, Magia, Magia, Maga, Make America Great Again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now testing it, excuse me, uh, Dr. Marshall tested it on runaway teens with fatal results. Johnson and Bowen, uh, Cloak and Dagger, in some way survived the injections of the drug, and they fled along with another prisoner, the Chinese human carrier, who would become Mister Negative. Now, Mr. Negative, um, I looked up some stuff on him. I'm interested in his story. I'll probably get into him sometime down the line, but I'm so I'm not going to go too deep into his backstory just as it relates to Cloak and Dagger. Now, during their escape, Tyrone found himself engulfed in darkness and seized by a strange hunger, which eased in the presence of Tandy, who was glowing with a brilliant light. Oh, God. Okay. Now, trying to hide his newly shadowy appearance in a makeshift cloak, Tyrone began absorbing Marshall's thugs into his darkness while Tandy struck them down with daggers of light. The two teens dubbed themselves Cloak and Dagger and declared war on crime. Like, y'all declaring war on crime? This man should have went to a hospital. I don't know what the fuck. Like, in a world where mutants exist and, you know, all this fuck shit going on and Avengers and whatnot, 
how in the hell, even in 1982 Marvel Universe, why the fuck did you go to a hospital and say, this nigga experimented on me, I need some help. Like, I don't know what the fuck going on, but please help me. Or at the very least, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I feel like there were other options. But um, now moving into Cloak and Dagger officially. Cloak and Dagger started off as merciless vigilantes, killing Marshall despite the interference of Spider-Man. Now, taking a few steps back. Everybody in the damn Marvel Universe have been vigilantes. I mean, maybe except for the Avengers. But hell, Spider-Man's a vigilante. Daredevil's a vigilante. Punisher's a vigilante. Cloak and Dagger are vigilantes. Fucking the X-Men essentially are mutant vigilantes. Like, everybody (laughs) are vigilantes, goddammit. Like, what? (laughs) I guess that's your rite of passage. Now, um... They uh, they killed Dr. Marshall despite the interference of Spider-Man, who saw the duo as a misguided innocence and gradually became their friend. <laughs> All right. Well, oh, um, Fantastic Four, too. They were not vigilantes. Fantastic Four and Avengers. So maybe those are the only two. If you can think of other people who were vigilantes, or if you know a list of Marvel characters from the, i say, early 90s on back who did not start off as vigilantes, please let me know because there are a slew of them now, but before everybody and their mama was a vigilante. <laughs> Alrighty, so now after an ill-fated assassination, assassination attempt on crime lords Silvermane and Kingpin, Dagger became less ruthless and tried to steer Cloak in a similar direction. However, since his powers compelled him to consume living beings, Cloak found it more difficult to follow this gentler path. Even though Dagger's light could satisfy his hunger temporarily. I just do not like this idea. And call it what you will, but the fact that they're paired up, and again, this is a product of the 80s, the early 80s, coming right off of the 70s. I mean, maybe it was some, I don't know, amazing, new, fresh idea that people thought would work, but it's like you were strung out on heroin, essentially, and then you're tied to this other character. This black man is tied to this white woman, and now she satisfies his insatiable hunger and is able to calm the beast. It's like the whole thing is just this. I just don't like it at all. I don't, but I, I get that it's comics and a lot of stuff post two thousands, late nineties was very problematic or very odd or off or did just did not age well. Um, which is why I'm, I'm kind of a little bit more excited for the TV show because I feel as if clearly Marvel has been, firing on all cylinders and doing the damn thing, but it would make sense to update this, especially since um, Marvel is now owned by Disney. The whole being strung out on drugs and all that shit from before in Cloak and Dagger's history, that, of course, will be retconned or just eliminated completely, much like Iron Man's alcoholism. Like, it's a newer, friendly, gentler Marvel Cinematic Universe. But at least they're going to update uh, the characters. And shit, all this bullshit aside, to be quite honest, I'm just happy that Aubrey, the guy who's playing uh, Cloak, has a job. This is another brown face having a job and having a job with the Marvel machine. You have a 10-episode series right now, but who's to say that the Cloak and Dagger won't get a season 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6? Like... This is a black boy who's working because of this complicated history with this character. So I'm good with that. You know, that's a, a, a great side effect of Cloak and Dagger. Now, moving on, Cloak and Dagger befriended the superpowered preteens, the Power Pack, 
and twice aided the New Mutants, uh, junior trainees of the X-Men. We all know the New Mutants. Um, if you don't, just um, they're this kind of second generation of X-Men after the original X-Men and then the uh, new X-Men with Storm and all those other like <laughs> the walking stereotypes. Uh, the New Mutants were the junior team that were... Uh, yeah, around in the 80s, around this time. God damn it. <laughs> now, the duo eventually learned that they were mutants themselves. See? See? Right there. <laughs> like, I classify them as mutants no matter what. Though, because of rights and things, one studio may classify them not as mutants and the other as, but they're mutants to me. Shit. And if Fox had been smart, they would have done what they did with Deadpool 1 and made them a cloak and dagger. Well... I don't know if they, whatever, if they had those rights. So, <laughs> all right. Now, with them being classified as mutants, uh, Marshall's drug, okay. So, <laughs> they learned they were mutants, and then Marshall's drug had awakened their latent powers. Uh, though they tend to target ordinary street criminals, they have faced such diverse foes as, now listen to this, because these motherfuckers ain't nothing to fuck with. They face Dr. Doom, the Beyonder, Vermin, I don't know who that is. The Zapper, the Disciplinarian, the Warlord of Kampuchea. 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 Yeah, I think I said that right. Uh, Set, Mephisto, Thanos, the Assembly of Evil, Firebrand, and Lightmaster. Like, these motherfuckers weren't playing. And just that rogues gallery alone makes me want to get my hands on, like, the earlier issues of Cloak and Dagger to see what the fuck they had going on, what y'all was doing. Because, like, shit, them, uh, those are no... Those are heavy hitters. Those aren't, you know, um, low-level freaking thugs or nothing. These is not even that. Just going back to um, Silvermane and Kingpin. Like, uh, regardless to how I feel about them, the nature of their relationship and their creation, like, these are some strong people to be fighting, to be dealing with. So, you know, they ain't nothing to be fucked up. Now, Cloak and Dagger found sanctuary at the Holy Ghost Church. <laughs> at the Holy Ghost Church. <laughs> With the father, Francis Delgado. Now, this motherfucker was a weirdo. Now, over time, Delgado became romantically obsessed with Tandy. Like, these these kids are like 16, 17 years old. I think, well, I'll just say Tandy's 17 as well. Uh, I'll keep them the same age because I don't think I found anything that would say uh, that they aren't. So, they're both 17-year-old teenage. But Francis Delgado was an old-ass man. Like, what are you doing, bro? Call, ugh. <laughs> so, uh, Delgado became romantically obsessed with Tandy, regarding Cloak as a demonic influence. Like, nigga, so again, this precious white woman who I'm so obsessed with, she's surrounded by this dark and disgusting evil black man. Like, get, the, get all the way the fuck on. Like, what are you... Ugh. Okay. Now, Delgado tried and failed to split up the duo, going mad in the process. After Delgado was institutionalized, Cloak and Dagger found a new mentor in Tandy's uncle. I'm going to stop there for a second. Something about, or everything about this Cloak and Dagger shit gives me, like, this get-out vibe. And I just <laughs> can't shake it. Now, if Cloak and Dagger are your favorite characters, or you really love them, or are nostalgic for them, tweet me. Let's talk about this. But they really give me, like, a, a get-out <laughs> type of relationship though Tandy's like a good guy and whatever else it's just the this just the nature of when they were created and how their powers work with one another but whatever shit why the fuck couldn't uh Tandy be cloak and uh Tyrone be 
Dagger. Tyrone. Oh, jeez. Okay, so Tandy's uncle, Father Michael Bowen. Um, Tandy's father, meanwhile... Okay, so let me take a step back. Cloak and Dagger found a new mentor in her uncle. And her uncle's name is Father Michael Bowen. Now, her father... However, which was so, and at first I was like, why the fuck did she run away? Like, she's this rich white girl, such and such. I didn't even really care. But then I discovered this. Tandy's father had become a cult leader <laughs> as the Lord of Light in India, a light vampire who fed on others' life force. He clashed with Cloak and, Cloak and Dagger until he realized what he had become and had tried to atone by hurling himself into Cloak's ebony abyss. A lot of stuff to unpack there. One being, I'm assuming that her father did this whole life vampire shit like before she made the transition into what she became, you know, after, until she became Dagger. What the fuck are you doing, Dad? Pay attention to your daughter. Why are you off in India becoming a cult leader of some sort? Even if he did all this after she became Dagger, it, it does not change anything. Your daughter's been, she's run away been missing in action for I'm going to assume a year and you, you're off in India like do you are you that separated from your children or your child or your family that you don't realize hey the daughter that I have has been missing for a while like worst father of the year award for you sir now the other thing I want to get on is the <laughs> the wording here he tried to atone for his sins by throwing himself into cloaks Ebony abyss. Uh, when white people <laughs> use the word ebony when referring to black people, that just alone. I, uh, I just, <laughs> I can't. Oh my god. Okay. So uh, moving on, police detective Bridget O'Reilly regarded the duo as a menace until they helped her capture the serial poisoner Dwayne Hellman. <laughs> what a name! And told the others. Excuse me, and they told her of their origins. Now, later on, O'Reilly betrayed them and left. <laughs> Excuse me. I just, Detective Bridget O'Reilly, I have to give it to Marvel. Though, okay, I have a complicated history with the nature of these two characters and how they're joined together and whatever. But <clears throat> during this time in the early 80s, I guess it may have been seen as um, maybe progressive to have this black man and this white woman working in this way and being these superhero vigilantes and whatnot. But then you even get to the kind of side characters or the supporting characters of this story and you have two women. You have Bridget O'Reilly and Rebecca Rusty Nails. Rusty being her uh, nickname, of course. But you have these two women who are on the police force and there were women cops back then. But you're centering them in this story where you could have easily probably just slipped in two white dudes. It's so... I'm, I don't want to be too hard on them, but then again, it's like you're a big corporation. I There's no room for me to be sympathetic to you. You have so many creatives, so many characters you can do so many things with. And though this is back in the early 80s, it's a, I'm conflicted because <laughs> I'm for them. But then I'm like, y'all could have did better, but you did do kind of good. So whatever. So <laughs> I'll go back now. Um, Bridget O'Reilly, of course, she thought that they were a menace, much like everybody, every single vigilante in the Marvel Universe. It's always met with, oh, this motherfucker is a menace. Spider-Man had Jonah Jameson, uh, Daredevil, I don't even know why I started this list. I know he had somebody. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
shit, even Luke Cage in the Netflix series, uh, he had Misty Knight. Like, it was just, they always see them as a menace, which is the case. Uh, but, yeah. So, later when O'Reilly was betrayed and left for dead by corrupt cops, Cloak and Dagger used their powers to save her life. But the experience mutated Bridget's body and warped her mind. Now, with that being said, the word mutate has been thrown around, but I don't I don't think that she is classified as a mutant. Now, she, O'Reilly, became the vicious superhuman vigilante mayhem. When it's like, God damn, you didn't complain about these niggas all this time, and they, they saved your life, and now you become the thing you complained about. Like she... <laughs> Now, she often uh, fought crime alongside Cloak and Dagger. Now, O'Reilly's former partner, police detective Rebecca Rusty Nails, would become an ally to Cloak and Dagger as well. Now, with Rebecca, I... Now, O'Reilly, I know that was a white woman. Now, with Rebecca, I was getting... From the image that I found her, I'm getting a very uh, Latina vibe, but I don't know. That hasn't been confirmed because when I'm looking at her, for whatever reason, when it comes to Marvel and classifying their characters, I do not find race a lot of times, even for characters who are, um, I find like their geographical location, like Monet St. Croix, like she's from Morocco, like, but they won't say, oh, she's black, oh, she's Middle Eastern, oh, she's, you know, Asian or what, and it, so, I don't know, maybe it's just some characters, but this Rebecca Rusty Nails chick, I, she give me Latina vibes, but I'm not going down that road. And plus, she didn't have a lot of appearances. I think it was 22 appearances, but like not um not a lot of like story arcs or heavy involvement with the stories. But you know, whatever. All this anger inside of me, it's poison. I watched one of them shoot my brother. When does it end? My dad died the night of the storm. These things belong to the Roxxon Corporation. Talk. You think? Why not stand up for the world the way it should be? Assess our limits. Now, Cloak, Tyrone, <laughs> continued to struggle with his power and the hungry predator within his darkness during a period when Cloak swore off consuming living beings. Now, Predator isn't the, isn't the predator you're thinking of. Predator is this, um, ugh, e okay, so Predator exists in the Earth 616, which is the main Marvel Universe, and he is a shape-shifting demon with peak human strength, longevity, and superhuman durability. Uh, though he has a weakness against uh, concentrated light and bioenergy based on attacks, which is like a lot of these characters, it seems, which, I mean, makes for, I guess, an interesting story, but they seem to have a weakness or they complement Cloak and Dagger's power set like completely like all of these villains and rogues gather and whatnot it's like they i don't know if that's lazy writing but i don't know i guess give me something that can battle them that isn't weakened by darkness or you or light or you can just throw into darkness it, it seems like it should be i don't know i don't know now um again during the period when cloak swore off consuming living beings the Predator released the spirit of legendary killer Jack the Ripper to torment Cloak. Okay, in <laughs> comics. However, when Jack betrayed the Predator in search of personal power, Cloak absorbed the madman and the Predator and consumed Jack again. Okay. 
Now, the drug dealing crime boss, Ecstasy, which is this white woman, uh, twice stole Cloak's powers for herself, largely because the Predator preferred the more ruthless, deadlier uh, Ecstasy as a host. I, I didn't find how where Predator came to be like, if we're talking about Cloak's power is, even if it's just a mutation, a, a natural mutation, then that's something that's biologically within him. But then even if it's administered through the drug that the doctor gave them, then that's um, synthetic. But I don't like I I can't make the connection from the predator. And like, where did this come from? Did he just like develop within whatever this ebony abyss? (laughs) Sounds like some horrible porn category. This ebony abyss that's within Tyrone. Like, I, I don't. And if you know, listeners, please let me know. Tweet me, Carefree Blurred. Use the hashtag CBNBot because I honestly do not know how this, I mean, was it just a, a, you know, a product of let me write it this way? Like, what, where did that come from? Now, um, moving on here. Now, twice she stole Cloak's power for herself, largely because the Predator preferred the more ruthless and deadlier her ecstasy as a host body. Now, Cloak regained his powers both times, thanks in part to Doctor Strange. Now, when the dream demon Nightmare <laughs> targeted Cloak, Tyrone prevailed. Tyrone and Cloak being one of the same, prevailed with the aid of Doctor Strange and Dagger, who eventually managed to nullify Cloak's darkness altogether for a time. Which is like, if you can do that, why not do that? Um, yeah, so Tyrone feared that dagger could only relate to him as cloak now because they've been tied together i can see you've developed this romance and even romance is how you've developed this kind of bond with this character but it's like if you're free from this which i guess is a two-sided coin because you can be okay i'm free from whatever this power is i had that i can't even have a tangible body because i'm just a floating nothingness of ebony abyss but then Maybe it's like, okay, now I'm free and I'm Tyrone and I can walk around and do stuff, but then I miss that life I had. So I don't, mm, I don't know. It's, it's it's odd. I think this is a very interesting character who, um, of course, needs to be back on front street. <laughs> front street. Who needs to um, have more. Give me more stories. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm an advocate for more stories for these characters. Give me more stories. Give me, put it into the hands of creators of color and let's, let's, Let's get Tyrone back on the map. <laughs> now, he felt that, you know, Dagger might not, you know, fuck with him if he was regular and uh, and was soon manipulated into reclaiming his dark powers by the malevolent mystic Mr. Jip, which is Mr. Jip looks absolutely disgusting. Uh, that that character design is creepy as hell. Now, Tyrone's willingness to resume his cloak from a strange dagger who briefly worked with the black cat uh, before going back to cloak, uh, who had failed to find a new partner in Dazzler. So she was fucking shopping around for for new teammates like, OK, nigga, you ain't got no powers no more. Move along. <laughs> so fuck her. Shit. Now, by this time, Jip, Mr. Jip. <laughs> Mr. Jip was trying to usurp Cloak's body with the aid of his agents night and day. Now, Dagger defeated them all with the aid of the Predator. Like, oh, this nigga again. (laughs) Now, and the partners were reunited. 
Jip would continue to hound them, striking Dagger blind for a time, using the mad Delgado as a pawn, temporarily corrupting Dagger through the power of night and killing both Delgado and Father Bowen by mystically usurping their bodies. Cloak and Dagger would thwart Jip's plots again and again, but it's like, I wonder, okay, like I'm sure, not sure, but we're going to speculate at this point. Cloak and Dagger season one, it's going to be like the origin story. You, of course, we have to get the doctor in this motherfucker. But I, will the whole first season, the 10 episodes, be like a drawn-out origin story? Or will we get a build-up and then introduce Mr. Jip? Because from what I'm seeing so far, yes, they fought with them heavy hitters and whatnot. But between Mr. Jip and Mr. Negative, Mr. Negative being like on their level in his creation, but then became something so sinister and different throughout uh, their history. I think Mr. Jip being a big bad could be somewhat of um, a purple man, Kilgrave for Cloak and Dagger in the cinematic universe. He has such a... It, and maybe a couple things here. Maybe his look because it's so grotesque, it looks as if his body is melting. Maybe his look would be hard to recreate on whatever budget, but... Kilgrave, Purple Man, was not painted purple. He didn't have on a purple uh, suit throughout the whole Jessica Jones season. So you could do something with Mr. Jim, even if you made him just more humanoid. Like, like it's he just seems like a very uh, formidable villain who is pulling out the stops. So, I, I don't know. I think Mr. Jip and the um, Mad Doctor, whatever, <laughs> would be a, a great kind of villain's antagonist for season one and going into season two <clears throat> excuse me now through though cloak and dagger once rescued homeless youth anna johnson from cultists like ugh, cults okay uh only anna herself was aware that the fact that she anna anna johnson was tyrone's long lost sister tandy did stay in touch with her uh stepfather philip who persisted in offering Tandy moral and financial support. So it's like all this shit going on, this girl still getting like the world hands to her, goddammit. What the fuck? No, <laughs> no so, um, but I do like that. I do like the idea too because I've, again, not, I haven't followed Cloak and Dagger lore. I don't know 100% about them. I know what I've uncovered through this research and it's interesting. Like really after all of this, this is a very interesting story and I'm really excited to see how it is portrayed uh in the cinematic universe and then with these younger characters because Cloak and Dagger are grown as fuck. These are full grown adults in the comics, especially back from the 80s, 90s-ish. They're grown. But putting them in these children bodies in the sense that these actors, this actor and actress look young. They look very youthful. I um, I want to see like the supporting cast as well. Like, give me the creepy Mr. Uh, Delgado lusting after Tandy and being this, because he doesn't look like a creepy man. He just looks like an older man with that age difference and you obsessing with her. And then you having the whole religiosity of being a Catholic priest over your head. And then the relationship with uh, black and white and white passing as it relates to uh, one Tandy and Tyrone, but then also... Uh, Delgado in Tyrone. It's just like that's an interesting like story arc, like a little two episode arc that you can pull it like Marvel hire me, goddamn it. <laughs> Alrighty, so now Anna 
Um, Anna knew that she was uh, Tyrone's sister and all that good shit. And they, we don't get a whole lot from her, but which is unfortunate. Now, Tandy, of course, stayed in touch with Philip. Philip was her stepfather. When she became blind, he helped her out. And they gradually developed a real father-daughter relationship with one another. And that's another thing. Like, I don't... I would like to see what caused Tandy to run away to begin with. And I would like to also, before even getting into her and stepfather territory, I would like to see the relationship with her dad being this fucking crazy ass cult leader, like all of that. So that when we do get a functional relationship between her and a male role model, a male father figure, it would pay off. Like you would be suspicious because you had Delgado and her dad and whatnot. But once you got down to her stepfather and he actually cared for her, I think it would be satisfying because shit, the girl done been through hell, you know, and she done brought this little black boy with her because without her, Tyrone wouldn't be in this fucking mess. No. <laughs> now, um, we're going to move on because no- nothing good lasts forever, apparently, in this universe. Now, when she went blind and they began, they developed this father-daughter relationship, sadly, he was killed. <laughs> That's not funny, but shit, can these kids not have nothing? So, um, stepfather Philip was killed by an overdose of the designer drug D-Light, which is the drug that uh, crazy-ass doctor developed and injected into all these fucking runaways. The drug that um, that's in question that is kind of the deciding factor between Tandy and Tyrone being mutants or not being mutants. Is it this drug? Are they mutants? Maybe it's Maybelline D-Light. <laughs> okay, now the D-Light, um, here it says it's a creation of the demonic uh, energy, demonic character Despair, D-Spare, D-Apostrophe, Spare, Despair, essentially. Now he feeds on human misery. Despair, 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 Despair. <laughs> Revealed that he had helped create Cloak and Dagger, whose mutant powers would have been quite different had they developed normally. Apparently, their mutant powers would have activated naturally through connection between Tandy and Tyrone. But Despair inhibited this reaction, allowing Marshall's drug, Dr. Marshall, to trigger their powers instead. This is interesting. Now, again, out of all the shit that I've said about them so far and out of all the issues and concerns I have, I do like this idea that we're playing with, are they or aren't they mutants? What would their powers have been like if they had have developed naturally versus what we've seen so far, which is just this cloak and dagger persona? Because it's one thing to like have someone experimented on. You have Luke Cage, you have the Tuskegee experiment, you have green light over in the DC universe. These characters who would have naturally become mutants could have been, you know, the next Scott and Gene, the next Phoenix and Cyclops. You know, they could have developed into something entirely different, but to have their entire kind of publication history of being around altered by despair making them who we know them as because this is all we're presented with it's an interesting like I don't outside of just creating an alternate universe or timeline where powers are different I don't think we've and if we have please as usual listeners tweet me but I don't think we've had a character who's who has this one appearance in this one timeline whose powers and history have operated this way. And I, I'm hoping I'm not confusing you. Know, I'll take a couple steps back. What I'm trying to say is if cloak and dagger are mutants and their powers would have developed naturally fine. There's one timeline in which that happened. I'm sure whatever, 
But this main timeline that we have, Cloak and Dagger, their powers were not allowed to develop naturally. They were fed synthetically with a drug that altered how their powers uh, manifested. Making them who they are today. And who they are today is all that we've seen in their history. We had no inclination, I think, <laughs> any thoughts of how they could have been or what could have come from them. So this realization, which was kind of a, I don't know if this was a retcon, I'm sure it was, but it's kind of a, everything you know has been a lie. You know, like if you watch a good TV show, like, um, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen This Is Us, spoiler alert, please skip forward if you don't want to hear this. But in three, two, one, in This Is Us, you get presented with this story of this family and how wonderful they are. And then this, the, the black boy, the black brother looking after trying to find his father so that he can, you know, stand up to him and say, you fucked me over years ago as a kid. I don't need you. I'm great. I have a wife and kids and a great job and such and such. But then the show gets turned on its head. You're sympathetic to him. You're you're kind of angry at his dad, but then you get to a point and you, at this point, you love his parents. You love his mom. You, uh, you know, his father, the white man that raised him, he passed away. So you feel for these characters. You love the mom. So when the realization comes out that the mom actually knew of the biological father's existence and that Sterling K. Brown's whole life that we've been presented with is a lie. That is how I felt about this realization in Cloak and Dagger's history. And it didn't upset me because I feel like shit, what would have been if they had have if they had have been able to develop their powers naturally? Much like in This Is Us, what would have happened if Mandy Moore and I forget because she plays Sterling K. Brown's mom, if she had of let them have a relationship with one another. She was so afraid that she would lose him. Okay, yeah, I get that. But what would have come of him if she had of let him have a relationship with his dad? Same thing here. If their powers had to develop naturally, we don't know. That's a revisionist history. We don't know. There was... I, I digress. Because I'm getting excited. So all of that being said, uh, Despair and fuck with these kids and, and move their shit around. Which also calls into question, how did Despair know that their powers would react? And I say that because we know that Tyrone is from Boston, from a, a poor area, South Boston. He ran away to New York. Tandy was in New York. They didn't say she ran away from Boston. She was just in New York and got robbed. Like, how do you, like, what if he had stayed in Boston? What if Bailey never got shot in the head? And what if he had overcame that stutter and just went on to college, became a professional, and lived his life? Would their powers have still, because the way that this is, is presented, it seems as if, if both of them haven't, had not have been, um, if Despair hadn't have, gotten into their business and shit and they both had have just grown up regularly let's say they both become fucking lawyers at competing law firms and at 35 years old they win a case together shake hands and then their shit just like manifests like how like it's so many different ways you can take this story and they're god damn it I the fuck despair with his punk ass how did you know that they would even get together this is odd but it feels like Hancock in the sense that I guess part of the movie when it, before they changed it midway through, but how he was weaker, him and that white woman were weaker when they were next to each other, stronger apart. And this whole, it just, it's, it give, it's giving me that feeling that mixed with get out <laughs> with 80s heroin and all this other shit. So honestly, through looking over these characters, I've been more excited. 
I've had my feelings about them, especially about how race plays into this story. But I'm really excited to see what comes of these characters on screen because Marvel has had 10 year history of doing a great job, even in their missteps of creating a, a interesting, um, colorful, exciting, funny, dramatic universe. And I'd love to see how Cloak and Dagger fit in this universe with their backstory that they have now and how to uh, bring that up to today, how to contemporary, to make it contemporary? Yeah, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say, goddammit. So, <laughs> so Despair, which could also be a big bad for season two or season three. Despair is, um, he, okay, so he had Dr. Marshall fuck with them and to trigger their powers. Now, he also, which of course comics, Despair also secretly placed two aspects of his own power, one, one light and one dark within the teens. Now, this is interesting that the purpose of that was to reshape their mutant powers. The dark and the light forms were meant to act as storage batteries for despair, which is, like I said, that's interesting. Um, accumulating pain and suffering, he could tap for uh, future use. So pretty much he stored pain and suffering <laughs> within the light and dark, which is like, Oh, God damn it. These kids are not batteries to store all your powers for future use. These are humans who you've just fucking corrupted. And, and it, um, their story also gives me a very Luke Cage, Jessica Jones feel in the sense that these are two kids who were experimented on and now they develop these powers or which they would have, but you fucked them. I, uh, there's layers to this bullshit and fuck you despair. God damn it. So, <laughs> so now, um, after all that bullshit that they went through, uh, despair tried to reclaim the light and dark forms of for himself, uh, cloak and dagger resisted and despair was seemingly destroyed in that process. So cloak and daggers powers were altered through their original abilities reasserted, excuse me, though their original abilities reasserted themselves over time, which is, Eh, cool, but and that still begs the question: What the fuck are were their actual powers supposed to be? I would love to see that kind of fleshed out as well. But I don't know. Maybe we'll get that. Maybe not. Now, Cloak and Dagger ugh, are devoted to one another, but the Lonely Dagger often wants more from life. Girl, shut up. Now, while on an international case, Tandy performed with um, as uh, Lady Light. And shared a romance with his supposed uh, FBI agent, Mr. Bill Clayton, who Bill Clinton, hmm, no, <laughs> who was exposed as a criminal, but ultimately sacrificed himself to save Cloak and Dagger. Which is why do people keep they keep running into these villains and these bad people who either they kill or that person sacrifices themselves. <laughs> now Tandy found new friends in the New Warriors, who teamed with Cloak, Dagger, and other heroes to defeat the Shadow Lunatic. Darkling. Around that same time, Cloak and Dagger teamed up with Spider-Man and others to halt a murderous supervillain rampage led by superhuman serial killer Carnage. Now that's what I need to get my hands on. I grew up watching Marvel and DC shows and all that good shit, but I was always interested in Carnage. Venom is cool, but Carnage for whatever reason, maybe his aesthetic or the badass attitude, but he just seemed to trump uh, Venom for me. So that's something I'm very interested in. Now, later on, Dagger helped to rescue the New Warriors from the supremely powerful Sphinx. She accepted an offer to the New Warriors for membership, though Cloak declined to join. <laughs> Serving as a Warriors reservist, which, 
whatever. Dagger also undertook a single mission with the informal secret defenders group. I don't care about her. I'm trying to get through this shit. Anywho, so a more interesting uh, story. Bloodthirsty fellow vigilante, the Punisher, has been both an ally and an enemy to Cloak and Dagger over the years. Like, how? Now, when Cloak went missing recently, Dagger helped form the unofficial Marvel Knights Alliance with the Punisher and other vigilantes and joined most of the other knights in hunting the rogue Punisher after he left. Okay. Meanwhile, a nightmare-manipulated cloak embarked on a mad quest to consume all lawbreakers, absorbing the Punisher and many others until Dagger teamed up with Doctor Strange to purge Cloak's corruption. Okay. Very dramatic. Now, um, they rescued the victims, and in the process, Cloak reverted to his human form as Tyrone Johnson. Why can't he just stay Tyrone Johnson? Better yet, why can't he have control over the ability to become Cloak? That, like, come on, y'all. Now, um, through his condition, uh, what proved temporary, condition being him being uh, returned to his human form, shortly after the Marvel Knights disbanded. Who cares? Now, I give this man, people like him and even with Rogue uh, of the X-Men, I'm like, why can't you just give these folks control over their damn power? Yeah, it's, I guess, interesting or more, I don't know, impactful storytelling if they don't. But it almost seems like a crutch because it seems like with Rogue and with Cloak, if you would be able to do some more interesting stories if they had a bit more control. Yeah, let it spaz out from time to time and, and, and erupt, you know, in ways that they aren't um, when they're stressed out or whatever. But give me a story where these motherfuckers can control what the hell they're doing. Let him be able to manifest himself as human and just control. Whatever. So now the secret criminal group known as the pride trick cloak and dagger into trying to retrieve their superpowered children uh, the pride so the pride i'm not going to go too deep into it but anyone who's seen runaways you know what that is now an encounter with these young runaways <laughs> see what i did there soon convinced cloak and dagger of the pride's true nature but before they could act on this knowledge the villains erased the duo's memories of the pride okay Cloak and Dagger continued to roam the mean streets, bringing the light of hope to the innocent, dark justice to the guilty. Into the ebony abyss. (laughs) Now, um, a few other places. House of M and Civil War. During the House of M crisis, Cloak was among the heroes who were awakened by that little white girl, uh, being initially part of Luke Cage's Avengers. That, okay, I'll say this, guys. When I first kind of got back into comics... The first story I read was House of M. I loved it. The artwork, the story, all of that. I was confused because I didn't know who a lot who a lot of the people were. But Luke Cage's group was just like dopest. But like I, I would like to see that aspect explored more. Uh, a lot of times you'll get these alternate timelines, even with Age of Apocalypse, where you have certain characters who are just dope as shit, like X Man, who is actually Cable from the Age of Apocalypse uh, timeline. Like, you get these certain aspects and certain characters and, and iterations of things, and it's like, why not just pull them into the main Marvel Universe, which is kind of what they did, like, with Miles Morales' Spider-Man. But Luke Cage's, like, Gang of Avengers, or what, like, they just aesthetically looked so interesting. And I read the 
main House of M trade. I still have it somewhere, but I didn't read any of the tie-ins, so he may have been explored a bit more in other stories. I don't think so, but him, that little bit that they had in House of M, the the uh, main story trade paperback, was good as fuck, and Cloak was like nice in there. He didn't have a lot of speaking lines, but I, man, I wanted, I wanted more. <laughs> now, um, kind of uh, uh, Reginald Mance. Reginald Mance managed to replicate Coke's power with uh, a drug called the Mutant Growth Hormone, which has been running rampant in the MCU as an inhuman growth hormone. Now, he then beat Dagger and left her hospitalized. <laughs> God damn, these kids can't get a break. Uh, the Runaways and the New Avengers found evidence of Cloak acting this way and confronted him. However, they eventually discovered the truth that it wasn't him. Don't blame this black man just because he's fucking close to this white woman. He ain't do that shit, little motherfuckers. Now, um, he acted as a teleporter and an active element during the Civil War among the Secret Avengers, which is another issue I have with Cloak. He's relegated to this transporter, and it pisses me off because you have characters like Gateway, who has been kind of reg regulated to the same thing. Just a brown guy who transports people from here to there. Now, Ileana Rasputin has kind of the same power set. She can transport transfer, transport, whatever, people from one space to another. But she's fully actualized in the sense that she has a very rich backstory. She's able to stand on her own. I'm sure if she's given a solo title, it would sell. She's been a part of the New Mutants. She, she has, she's so much more fleshed out and her, she doesn't have a one-note power. Whereas now with Cloak, he isn't one-note in the sense that he does have many things he can do, but he's, a, a lot of times that I've seen Personally, through stories that I've read and even within the history of him, he's just transporting people from here to there. Now, initially, him and Dagger had a lot of shit going on and it seemed that they had a lot of stories and shit was cool. But now that you're not seeing them as much, when he does pop up, it's for that purpose alone. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? So I'm actually going to end it there, mainly because there is, like I said, he's the transporter of the Marvel world and I don't that wasn't that's it's not enough it's just it's not enough and with the show coming out I probably spoiled like the first season or first and second season just in his research alone so whatever that is what it is but moving on to his power set now with his powers and abilities this motherfucker got a lot of them but we usually just see him transporting people from here to there <laughs> dark force conduit now, as a result of his exposure to an experimental drug, Cloak's body is a portal to the Dark Force dimension, a world of strange ebony energy. Oh, God. Cloak is linked to a pocket realm of that dimension dominated by the Predator, which compels Cloak to absorb the life force of other beings. But Dagger's light can temporarily satisfy this craving. Well, I guess that answered my question with a fuck did the fucking predator come from but even with that like i said Ileana rasputin is like the queen of oh god what is it hell or one iteration of hell and then you have nightcrawler who when he teleports it was discovered that he doesn't go from one place to another he actually goes into a like demonic dimension and then appears wherever else and just like with uh cloak like how many fucking dark dimensions hell landscapes do we have are they all not interconnected if that's the case this would be a dope as 
way to give me a book with Cloak, Ileana Rasputin, and Nightcrawler. Give me that story. And they're going through hell, fucking shit up. Copyright Black History, Black History Month. <laughs> Copyright Carefree Black Nerd. Marvel, call me. I would love to write this story. I'd do a damn good job, goddammit. Now, <laughs> okay, now, um, Dark Force channeling. Cloak can channel Dark Force to create a field of darkness in his general vicinity. Oh, girl, darkness. Usually using his cloak as a focal point to, to manipulate this darkness, though it can spread well beyond the confines of his cloak. People enveloped by Cloak's darkness feel numbing, cold, and experience terrifying visions of their own greatest fears and nightmares. Overlong exposure to the darkness can deprive people and drive them insane. Unprotected victims trapped in Cloak's dark realm are gradually drained of their life force and presumably die. <laughs> Unless Cloak releases them. Like, that would be... Man, oh God. Hey, this nigga could do so much. Now, Dagger's light renders her largely immune to Cloak's darkness. She can extend her light to protect others within Cloak's darkness if need be. Which is like... The nature, the very nature of this black man is threatening and harmful to others. It's like, okay, y'all, you can do better than that. Now, Dark Force teleportation. Cloak can teleport by entering the Dark Force dimension, moving a short distance within it, and emerging back on Earth, a great distance from his point of origin. So you can enter into New York, move a couple steps, and exit in Los Angeles. So... A span of miles on Earth can be traveled in only a few steps via shortcuts through the Dark Force. And that's something interesting to um, kind of go into as well. Because like I said, with Nightcrawler, I think it only recently, well, for me, I only saw through X-Men Evolution the realization that he travels through some negative demon universe. This has kind of always been a point of um, Cloak's backstory. So it would be great to kind of Again, Marvel, let me write Let me write this story. <laughs> now, Cloak can teleport other persons or objects along with himself in this fashion too. A feat usually reserved for Dagger since most beings cannot safely travel the Dark Force. Now, during Civil War, he teleported at least a hundred heroes and Thunderbolts from Negative Zone to the middle of New York. This effort weakened him considerably. Dark Force Intangibility as Cloak, Tyrone is usually intangible, though he can solidify through an act of will by, or, excuse me, or by absorbing enough light to saturate his form temporarily. He can pass through objects, and objects such as bullets pass through him. His intangibility makes him very hard to hit. On the rare occasions when he resumes human form, he usually reverts to his old stutter, which vanishes when he becomes Cloak. And that's what I was mentioning at the top of this issue, that... His power set does not complement or work well or work in tandem with his his stutter. It, it, it's like it's like you it's like you presented this stutter to kind of show him as broken and how he's uh, upgraded or elevated through this new power, even though it comes with this dark, threatening like persona so when he reverts back to his human form now the stutter returns like it, it just feels like you're playing fast and loose with something just to de to denotate or whatever that he's different but it feels lazy to me because you could actually work with his stuff but 
whatever. And then his stutter got his friend killed. And, you know, the police killed his friend. I Excuse me. The police killed his friend. It didn't get his friend killed. The police killed his friend. Now, <clears throat> strength level. Um, when Tyrone's strength... Uh, okay. Now, as a human, Tyrone, not cloaked, but as a human... His strength has been enhanced, and I don't know if that's through the drug or through his mutant ability or what, I don't know, whatever, but it allows him to lift up to twice his body weight. Um, as a result, he can press and lift about 310 pounds, which is cool or whatnot. Uh, paraphernalia, he has a cloak, <laughs> a cloak which apparently has existed on other beings with similar powers, but whatever. Like Even that, right, the, the very fact that this has existed on other people and other people have had this similar power set... That can be explored in a story. Like, seriously, Marvel, let me write this for you. I can write Cloak's story, independent of Dagger. And actually, <clears throat> both of them, I would like to see how would they work separate from each other. Like, I'm not really interested in Dagger too much without Cloak, but even her on her own, like, I'm sure something interesting can be done with her and her power set. I just like Cloak's a bit more, and I would like to see more done with him. I'm not going to rant and rave about how they need to have their own series or whatever because they do <laughs> on Freeform, June 7th. So get into that. If anyone wants to discuss it on the show, hit me up, email and tweet and all that good shit. And we can uh, kind of go over Cloak and Dagger. I'm going to start my summer series pretty soon. It'll be towards the end of this month. And I'm trying to figure out if Cloak and Dagger will be added to the lineup but we'll see stay tuned folks stay tuned <laughs> um yeah so I'll, I'll end it there now thank you all for listening to this issue of carefree black nerd please keep this conversation going email me at carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com please visit carefreeblacknerd.com that is the hub for all things carefree black nerd social medias hey i'm on snapchat if you want to follow me there uh rain coleman i um twitter carefree blurred Instagram and most all social media at Carefree Black Nerd. Please check the Carefree Black Nerd feed to find other shows uh, that you may like. Uh, please like, rate, review, five stars. Let me know how you felt about this issue. Was this good? Was it? Did I do it? Do it, baby. Did I do it? <laughs> all in all, talk to me. Let's keep this conversation going. Um, I appreciate every each and every last one of you folks. You could be anywhere in the world, but you're right here listening to me. That being said, uh, just be on the lookout. We'll come back soon with uh, Carefree Black Nerd with the next issue. And I look forward to hearing from all you wonderful people. So until then, I want you to all stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky. And check BYNKRadio.com so you can get my Carefree Black Nerd merch. There are t-shirts available, folks. Go and shop. Shop around. Take pictures. Upload them. Use the hashtag CBNPod. Let me know that you got a shirt, y'all. <laughs> All right.